0: We live in the age of creative entrepreneurship. Successful entrepreneurs are celebrated and revered as personal brands. But behind most overnight successes are years of hard work and experience. This is especially true for creative careers and entrepreneurial success stories. But what are the ingredients of a creative career? Talent, hard work and craftsmanship? entrepreneurial skills, marketing and sales knowledge. And what role does your cultural environment play? These are the questions I'm exploring today. Hey, sweet people, how's it going? Are you looking for the sweet spot of your brand? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm your host Mark Zeus. This is the sweet spot podcast. Today, I talk to Alex Viasis. she's a freelance designer based in Rotterdam. After years of experience in different roles and jobs, Alex found her calling and purpose as a creative, which she today applies as a designer. I talk to Alex about cultural differences between countries and industries when it comes to creative work, we talk about problem solving and the inclusive nature of design and we talk about how we can't feel numbers. Alex is also the host and producer of the podcast Do I Need School To Be? where she talks to people from different creative industries about their training and education. Based on her experience, we discuss talent, craft and business skills when it comes to mastering your creative profession. So this is a great episode for all creatives and founders out there who seek the sweet spot between their craft, entrepreneurial work and the cultural context. So please enjoy my talk to Alex the Welcome to the sweet side. This is the sweet spot podcast with Mark Zeus, investigating entrepreneurship, purpose and the creative life. Sweet people, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Alex VSCS. Hello from your old hometown Hamburg. Nice to have you on the show. How are you? Hi,
1: Mark. <laughs> Hi, sweet people. It's great to be here. It's such a trip. Wow. It's like I've, I lived in Hamburg for a total of four years in two separate occasions. Oh, wow. So yeah, it brings the good memories. Good memories only in Hamburg.
0: That's perfect. Good memories are great. You're coming from us from Rotterdam right now, right? Yes, Netherlands. Perfect. Yes,
1: the we're having a weird sunny day. We don't get those very often, but mm-hmm. yeah, you live in Hamburg. You know what it's like. Uh, I, I know exactly
0: what it's like to not have too many sunny days. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think Hamburg has 270 cloudy days per year. Could be. Yeah, it's it's crazy.
0: Well, you know what? I wondered where are you from originally. And what brought you to Hamburg, now that we're we're talking about your old hometown and my right now hometown?
1: Yeah, well, I'm originally from uh, Ecuador, so from mm-hmm. South America. I was born in a city called Guayaquil. My dad is from Ecuador and my mom is from Honduras. They met when my dad was doing college in Honduras mm-hmm. and they met, they fell madly in love, they had three kids and... Yeah, we lived there until I was 15. That's when we moved to Mexico. Mm -hmm. And then when I turned 18, we moved to Germany. I lived first in, maybe German listeners would know this. I lived in Grevesmühlen, which is a town in (laughs) mecklenburg vorpommern Amazing. Then then we moved to um, uh, Lübeck. So I moved Mm -hmm. to Lübeck. I lived there for three and a half years. And then I moved to Hamburg because I couldn't tolerate the commute from Lübeck to Hamburg. People Working
0: your way up there. Exactly. Bigger bigger. Yeah.
1: exactly. I spent one year in Hamburg doing Studie in Kolleg, and then I moved uh-huh. to Lübeck. And then after three years in Lübeck, I moved back to Hamburg for another three years.
0: Can absolutely relate to that. Absolutely. Well, before we dive into anything work-related or podcast-related, I always appreciate to have guests on that have different experiences when it comes to culture to social surroundings to different influences so i mean you studied design you've been working in the creative field did how did you experience the different cultural texture of the countries did that impact your creative way of thinking and working in any way moving from south america to germany
1: it's 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 such a layered question because um, I think one important thing to point out is that design has a different. It works under a different context in both, in my experience, at least in both countries or in both mm-hmm. parts of the world. So the level of appreciation that design gets in Europe, in Germany, in the Netherlands, it's not the same as the level that it gets in Latin America. In if I had stayed in Latin America, the idea of going into design would not have been feasible. Would not have been possible you don't get the same amount of respect or the same amount Mm. of, I wouldn't say support, I guess, recognition that Mm -hmm. you get as a designer here. Uh, It's not as well paid. It's not as well supported. And there aren't as many government supports for arts and design in Latin America as there are here because we have a different set of problems. There are different priorities in that part of the world.
0: Would you say the lack of support or recognition is that on a on a business level on a financial and um government support level or also in respect that you get paid for your work so i mean do people appreciate design differently does it play a different role in music pop culture everyday life is there less design more design is it just so common that everything is brilliantly designed i've never been to mexico or south america so i have no idea how yeah how that craft is perceived there
1: well, that's a great question. And I would say the craft is not as appreciated in a financial level for mm-hmm. to start to start off. It's for example, you see just like like stay in packaging. Like let me give you the example of packaging. The it's almost seen as a second tier. It's if you're developing a product here. And it's, let's say, food related. You're going to think about yes. the packaging. You're going to think like, how am I going to tell a story with this packaging? It's yeah. it's part of the brand. It's a stronger part of the brand. From At least from my experience in Latin America, it's more of what do we need to make to make it fit with the other things that are mm-hmm. on the shelf? It's not as, as part of the brand as other elements. And because it's not as integral to product development, to the financial output or to the financial gain the company is going to get it's not seen as as important. So you put it in a different category. It's almost like a luxury. Wow,
0: wow. okay. Yeah. I get that. Okay, so I can imagine the change for your craft and the appreciation was fundamental moving to Germany, to Europe in general. Um, what What happened to you? Did you did change your approach? Did you feel more secure, more insecure? So I really wonder what happens if you... Decontextualize yourself completely because it's a very different culture, I suppose.
1: It it did and it didn't. It gave me a different of a different how do I say this? A different set of priorities when I design. In yeah. the sense that it's very hard for me, or, or at least I struggle with that when I uh when I study in the Netherlands, because I moved to the Netherlands to do my BA. I did an Ausbildung mm. in Germany, mm-hmm. which allowed mm-hmm. me to work. But Found then the ship, I wanted, yeah. yeah, and I wanted to like keep developing myself. So I came to the Netherlands to, yeah, do my BA in mm-hmm. design, which love it. Great experience. It's It's been amazing. But I see this brand of this, this group of designers who are really crafts, the masters of their craft. I have friends who will spend months in designing this perfect book that they're going to sell for 50 euros a pop. Mm -hmm. i respect that i i don't have that skill level i respect the craft but in the back of my mind i'm always thinking there is a very small segment of the population who can afford this and where Mm -hmm. i come from nobody can afford this this is Mm -hmm. not something i i see it as metal straws i i I love using the example (laughs) of i love using the example of metal (sighs) straws it's like we have a serious problem with plastic in the ocean it's serious a contribute uh We all have seen the video of the turtle who has the straw stuck in their nose. It's very moving Mm -hmm. and everything. And the proposed solution from the design field is sometimes everybody should get a metal straw. When you're asking a mother who has three kids and who is struggling to keep a home, who Mm -hmm. lives in poverty, hey, spend 10 euros on this metal straw. It's not a solution because she's probably going to eat for a week with 10 euros. So. You're, it, it's yeah. a different set of problems, and, but I see that as a challenge. I see that as how can I use my skills in design to actually do something that's helpful, to mm-hmm. that's, that's contributing. How can we use creative solutions in this context to these problems? So I don't think that it has restricted me. I think it has given me a different perspective. And that's yeah. what I think about. that's most beautiful about design. We all have different perspectives colored by our, our own experiences.
0: That's amazing. Well, I really appreciate that because I think this is a pretty... Well, it sounds so common sense, but in the design world, in the design community, especially in, I think, Germany and the Netherlands, it's uh, it's not as common as it should be, thinking in circular design, in responsibility, in what's the purpose of you as a designer. Um, yeah, because as you said, if you come from the design world from a design high school or university you have this kind of elite thinking you want to design your own book or whatever premium design thing maybe and think of more in a gallery and museum context that happens a lot because it's yeah because it's just one way that your craft can go to a very exclusive niche thing but i really appreciate your attempt to to ask yourself the hard question like what can i how can i design to make an impact to make a difference. I really like that. Yeah.
1: It's it's not just that. Like recently for a project that I'm doing right now that I would love to tell you about because it's really exciting at least to me, I yeah. got to meet this designer called Anne Confrey, who designs uh children's books, like storybooks, mm-hmm. for kids who are blind. And nice. Her work is really amazing. And because of her experience with uh raising a blind child and having like her daughter and then working with these kids, she asked herself questions that she as a seeing person would never ask herself. She has this book that I love. It's about a dog. And me in my designer mind, I think like, oh, it's felt. I can just make this. It has to be 3D. Easier way I use felt or you press it to make it textured and stuff like that. And she told me, no, it has the textures have to be as close as possible to the real thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wait, that's, but the eyes, the nose, everything you have there, you have to think about that way. How can I, with the the images that I'm creating have to be as ta- like tactile, as close to a real thing. And I ask why? It's like, because a kid, if you make it out of plastic or felt, the second they meet a real dog and it doesn't feel that way, they're going to be in a, a lot of confusion. So it's asking those questions. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, it's like if it's if it has a ball, it has to feel like a ball, like something they know as a ball. If it has a nose, how would a do- how do I create the feeling of a dog's nose on a book without making wow, it wet?
0: That's it's, amazing.
1: It's a different set of challenges that comes with exposing yourself to different people and yep. seeing. It's for example something that I wish was integrated in design schools. It's like how do you design a website for somebody who has epilepsy? You cannot mm-hmm. use. Uh, flashing lights you have to use what if the person is blind only 15 percent of blind people actually have no vision 85 percent have some level of vision how do you design for them and all Mm -hmm. those questions that come with having different experiences with people who are not like you
0: i really appreciate what you're saying i think this well especially in design but i think that goes for a lot of creative fields yeah i really think so well maybe we can let's later circle back to the to the cultural differences and the impact it has but um i want to dive into with the sweet people listening into rotterdam what are you doing right now you're working as a freelance designer so can you tell us about your studies your work you're doing right now besides reinventing dogs on paper
1: (laughs) yeah um (laughs) I do a lot of things. It's amazing that I have not had a burnout yet. I have a theory and I'm going to make a design project as to why I haven't gotten a burnout yet because
0: that's interesting. That's interesting.
1: I I think it, I think it's a social component. I think it's an important social component to it, but not to like get too far ahead. Um, so when I came to study here in Rotterdam, I was 26. So I didn't want to have that huge gap on my resume. You know, that Mm -hmm. if I graduated with my classmates who were in their early twenties, like, why are you? like almost 30 graduating and applying for the same jobs. So I wanted to freelance from the beginning. I went into the trap that is Upwork and I suffered in Upwork selling my work for what was not priced yeah. correctly because it's, it's really a price market. Yeah. And through that experience, I got to work in transcription and translations because I have the skill of knowing a lot of languages. And through that, I became a medical market research analyst I didn't study for it, but mm-hmm. I got to learn from amazing people who mentored me on it and I got that skill. And then I also started freelancing. I've done projects for the municipality in Rotterdam, actually. We did a project with them. I got to work with uh the VCO School, which is a school for the blind. I have gotten like I've I've been lucky enough to work with really cool companies that are doing really mm-hmm. cool projects, and sometimes that is concept developing, helping them figure out that sitting down with the CEO and him telling me for 30 minutes what the ethos of his company is and me trying to figure out, okay, how do we translate it into a short story that can relate to your client base? With the municipality, it was how do we create a greater sense of belonging inside the locations of the municipality, especially for people with disabilities and people Mm -hmm. who are freshly arrived immigrants? And yeah, all those little projects next to school. and yeah. Which is also very draining, but it's, it's a really fun environment and I'm really enjoying it.
0: I can totally relate to this. I also did a dual study, so working on the side while doing my bachelor's and master's degree. To me, it really, it felt good because you don't fall into this... Again, circling back to the idea of some designers want to design for an elite, want to do super expensive books and stuff like that. And I think... Working on the side kind of keeps you grounded because you're you can have amazing design ideas and be really out there and really involved in your arts and crafts and everything. And at the same time, at the end of the day, you talk to someone and they just need a freaking problem solved. And I think that's a duality that's keep you can keep you in balance pretty much and can help you to really apply your artsy skills to everyday problems and do what design is supposed to do, solve problems, right?
1: Totally. And it also keeps you grounded in what is feasible and what is what fits inside reality. Because in the art school environment, or at least that's what, that was my art school experience, I always ran into that battle that in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, how am I going to do this? Is this even possible? Mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. teachers wanting to inspire me to be more creative, they would push me like, no, don't worry about how you're going to make it. That comes later. But in the, I'm always thinking, how am I gonna does the technology exist the is yeah. is this impossible do i have the skill level to do this in this amount of time and that can be a creative block uh, or they saw it as a creative block I now see it as okay there's it's a continuous process of problem solving which is what design mm-hmm. should do it's I run into a little problem. I have this... How can I adapt my concept to work around that problem? Or how can I solve the problem in a creative way? Which is what I really think a designer does. You run into a problem and you figure it out. And that's also creativity. It's not just imagining these amazing concepts. It's also how do, can I shape the world around me? Or how can yeah. I shape myself around the world?
0: Well put. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, <clears throat> not to devalue the artistic side of it. I also loved being in this super artsy, highly conceptual framework. And at the same time, as you just said, it it depends on who you want to cater to, what impact you want to have, who do you want to work with. And also since designing and solving problems with design is such a highly personal thing, I think it really depends on where you come from, where do you see yourself culturally embedded um what's the people and the problems you actually want to work with and the problems you actually want to solve and that i think makes a hell of a difference because you can have the same training and later on turn out to be a art book museum style designer or someone who really applies to let's say healthcare issues or whatever you know so i think this secret ingredient i later want to talk about this more but i think there. A couple of different ingredients to working in the creative field which actually brings me to to your podcast do I need school to be dot 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 is your amazing podcast um, where I had the pleasure of being a guest on and now you're a guest on my podcast so you talk to people from different creative industries and you talk about the training and their education and it's a really great form it because you get a deep dive into the personal stories of your guests and really get to know, okay, is there formal training? Is it talent? Is it intuition? What made them who they are today? So I really wondered, can you take us back to the beginning? Why did you start this podcast? What was your initial drive?
1: Yes, of course. And by the way, uh, about what you said about being people being more artsy and others being more practical there is room for everybody there really is room for everybody that design world we don't have to just be one thing we can be several types like there is this chef daniel hum he's a swiss chef that works in a restaurant in new york i want to have his food it looks delicious it's tiny portions it's amazing presentation i want to have his food but one of my guests um michelle fox who's a chef i think she's on episode three her cooking is seasonal and sustainable and it's it's a completely different motivation behind it but there's room for everybody and i want to eat both of their meals because they're both amazing yeah and to bring that into the podcast is the podcast started because every time i said that i was a designer to people outside of the design field they asked me to really go to school to learn how to draw and I know that graphic design really? is more than just drawing because...
0: Wait, wait, wait where, where was that? That's a very important question.
1: The that was telling you
0: this. Was that in, in Germany or back in, in back home?
1: That, so that was in Germany,
0: actually. Oh, wow. The, okay.
1: Yeah, because I had friends That's outside the design field. And for them, it was like most of them were in engineering school. So for them, mm. engineering school was up here and I was just learning how to draw. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there was this imbalance Mm-hmm. And for them, graphic design was just drawing. Mm-hmm. I know that it's much more, but and and this was a common question that I got from my family in Ecuador. That I got, I didn't get in the Netherlands as much because design has a different. I was already in the design yeah. space. I didn't I really go into the engineering space because of friends or anything like that. I do, I dove into the design field, but it was a common question. And then I I fell in that trap as well, thinking about people who. Uh, chefs in this case and I'm always I am not a person that can cook I I can survive I always say that I survive I am not okay. a cook I feed myself and I and I am still alive but there was always that question do you need to go to culinary school because there are mm-hmm. a lot of people who don't go to culinary school they learn at home in Latin America you learn to cook with your parents or with yeah and so on and so that's how the podcast started with me having this question is do you, I really need school to do this? Or do you really need school to be a podcaster, to be a photographer, to be all these things? Because many there are a lot of people who do these incredible jobs, writing, everything, and they never go to school. So that's what, that's my motivation for it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always ask people in the show, it's like, what was your education like? We have so many podcasts that go into, I'm already up here, I'm gonna tell you what I'm doing up yeah, here. Yeah, and yeah, it feels, exactly almost unreachable i want to make it reachable my goal with it is to show that there are different paths that we're all mm-hmm. different that we're all we're neurodiverse. some people are more auditory some people are more visual totally. every path is valid and i want to share those journeys so hopefully somebody will say hey hmm, nice i can be i can start my career in photography when i'm 33 Mm -hmm. or i can decide to be a to go a full-time musician when i am 21 and then become a teacher later it's yeah or i can be a chef even if i didn't go to culinary school it's to share those stories that's the core the reason why the podcast is a thing
0: yeah super excited very very interesting episodes so you just mentioned a cook a musician a photographer designers how do you pick your guests what's the common denominator
1: um, I try to go for people who have heard speak before. All right. I was lucky enough to be in the interest when Clubhouse was still cool. I got an invitation Bam, for it. Yeah. And I found a lot of, uh, speakers there, people who are podcasters themselves. Michelle, Lee I found actually on Clubhouse and they connected me to other people. Um, one of my latest guests, uh, his name is Dan dan elliott he's a musician from ireland and i saw him play in rotterdam through software sounds and then also i asked people to recommend me other Uh other people that they Uh know i try to go from people in rotterdam as much as possible because then i can meet them face to face which is also very nice and through art school like there are people who have simply reached out to and they have been so nice to connect with me like you and i connected through a website through audrey I have also, like, I have this product right here. It's I'm pulling out a, a book from Paper Republic, oh, wow. which is a, it's fine leather goods from Austria. And I love these things. I have one A5, I have two A6. I have a separate, I have a book separator. I have a bunch of things from them. And Fan I just girl. reached out to the owner. <laughs> I reached out to the owner and I was like, hey, I love your products. Would you like to be on my podcast? And he said, okay, I'm going to listen to... Give me two episodes to listen to. Mm-hmm. I send him the two and he liked them. So, we're going to have an interview soon. Perfect. So, it's a lot of...
0: That's perfect.
1: Asking and believing in their brand. And just... yeah, Maybe somebody has a story. I have a green graphic designer, for example. I reached out to her. And just people I've heard speak before. People who have felt have a story to tell. Or... Yeah. I'm just curious about how they learn the stuff they learned.
0: Well... So yeah, it's it's basically going through your lens of who do you consider interesting, where do you see a certain talent for talking, because also to give, to give the sweet people listening a little behind the scenes, I think the curation of content and your creative network and everything, that's a crucial part, that's a super interesting question, because I mean, you and me will look for podcast guests, other people might look for the audience for their brand, or they want to give a talk or they want to ne- work on their network or whatever it is. It's, it's very important how you curate people and your network and your knowledge and the mm, things you're interested in and the people you want to get to know. So I always appreciate if people want to share this because I met podcasters who are super analytical. They just go for okay, I want to I need one of every industry. I'm going to look up like the 50 most listened to podcasts in the let's say photography field or whatever. And they always try to go for the for the quantitative stuff, like okay, what's the most listened to episode? And you take away a more personal approach, which I think can sometimes be way better for the quality of the talks because, of course, there are popular people that give a lot of interviews. You have to have very different skills to get real answers out of someone who's a real media pro, someone who's conducting like 20 interviews a day or at least feels like he does or she does. It's way harder to get them to talk personally, right? Is that also your experience?
1: Yes, most definitely. I think that... Something that I try to look for in guests and the reason that I want to have like a personal connection with them a little bit before or have them recommend me to somebody they know, which happened when my guests, actually a friend of them recommended me to them, is because I'm asking them about something really personal. It's their Mm -hmm. journey. It's I'm asking them to share it in a very human way. So if I, I don't think that, for example, to stay in the design field, Chris Doe, would give me a very personal story because of yeah. who he is, because of, of his background, because of where, how he has placed himself in the industry. I doubt that he would go into this teacher really messed me up mentally. Damn it. It's like this motherfucker really ruined my life. He's yeah. not going to do that. He already has yeah. a very curated personal brand that he's not going to stray from. So I think mm-hmm. by approaching smaller people, smaller creatives, not necessarily, not necessarily small but people who are also have a very close connection to their audience yeah they're gonna want to be open in a more human way and share the mistakes
0: yeah absolutely so you had quite some some guests on your show is there some someone or some story that stands out that surprised you or shocked you or was something that you really didn't expect anything you can share
1: Yes, of course, and uh, it's like I, I love talking about this episode. It's um, I actually asked one of my teachers at the academy, Ginger Coons, to be on the podcast, and she's amazing. I've had she, she she's this teacher that she can talk to you about how staple how staples are made, and she will capture you as a student. She will yeah. just capture her brain. She's the person she can ask me. What time it is? And in my mind, I'll be like, "Wait, what does she mean by time? And what does she mean <laughs> exactly. by what?
0: What is time? Yeah, yeah, I know what what those kinds people. Is,
1: what is the question behind the question? And she's literally just asking what time it is. And in my mind, I'll be like, "Wait, what? Because she That's makes it, she triggers me in that way. And um, in her interview, she like she has a PhD in design research. She's a nerd, and she loves to be a nerd. And I, in my mind, she was always this amazing student. And in the podcast, she told me when she was doing a French high school in Canada, because she's Canadian, that she was not good in certain subjects. She actually was struggling in school for a little bit. And the teacher called her mom up and they had a conversation in which the teacher said, it's not that Ginger is stupid. I can accept that. It's just that she could do better and she doesn't. And I... I think that's so true and honest. And I thought that was amazing. It's, and I can almost feel the frustration from the teacher. And when she was telling me the story, it's like, it's not that she's stupid. I can work with stupid. <laughs> yeah. I cannot work with somebody who won't, just won't do this stuff. That's the, the part of pissing me off. And I didn't expect that because to me, she's, to me, everybody who has a PhD, it's like up here. It's another level. It's like, mm-hmm. you have another level of inter- of intellect that I can never reach. And she just simplified it. She just said, it's not that we're extra smart. It's because we have a zero focus on a tiny, tiny, tiny topic. That's what you need to do yep. a PhD. Find that yep. one thing. And yep. that really surprised me. It made me think, what will I do for my PhD? Even though I, I don't think about doing one, but it's like, if I, it, she made it reachable. She made it possible because it was this human story. From somebody that didn't have a perfect educational journey getting to the highest of education.
0: I think in a different way, in in a non-academic way, being a freelancer or building your own business is literally the same thing. Because, well, I think we're going to get there in a second. I have a a little theory. I want to bounce off of you. Um and dive into what do you think creative careers are made of but we'll get to that so bottom line i just think if you're an entrepreneur or a freelancer or artistic in whatever way you always need this weird focus on on one thing maybe for a certain amount of time only but i believe if you want to get your company or your your freelance career going you really need to focus and stay on that And it's really reinventing yourself, looking at it from all angles, pushing it every day, thinking, rethinking about it besides the craft and the things you actually do. You know what? Let's dive right into the theory (laughs) I have. Yes. I'll ask you the other things later. You know, um, I was thinking about creative work and careers when I thought about this interview because you talk about education and the professional journey everyone has all the time. So my working theory for now is creative career consists of at least three parts let's put it this way we're going to talk about every part but i think one part is talent one part is your craft could be photography cooking whatever and then there's a third part which is maybe the least exciting one or the the easiest to really conquer because you I think you just have to sit your ass down and learn but I want to hear your opinion I think the third part is the same part that's in every entrepreneurial endeavor it's a little bit of business knowledge how to market yourself some sales tactics I think there's a couple of skills that are necessary to be successful in in every business you do could be creative could be not creative but that's something that aligns everyone that's self-employed or starting their business yeah, so that's my that's my working theory. We can dive into all three parts now.
1: I have such a, ah, it's like you're so right, and I felt so triggered by by one of those, and that will explain it's <laughs> like this in this quick sentence. You don't feel numbers, you don't feel budgets. There is, I don't know if you get this. Maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe I'm just crazy. But when a book, it's well made, you mm-hmm. feel it. It can be perfectly flat, but there is a feeling you get when I don't care if it's printed in all the Pantone colors on glossy paper and there is no no tactical, no, there's no haptic experience to it. There is one that you touch a picture and it, you feel something. Mm-hmm. You feel that. Now, you don't feel numbers. You don't feel it. It irks me to my core when people say, "I feel this budget is right." No, you don't feel a budget. You calculate <laughs> yep. a budget. So, and this is I've had, this is not a new thing. I've had this for years. Um, people don't people don't realize this, but Spanish in different Spanish speaking countries is going to be different. So we have a different vocabulary. Words are used in a different way. It can be the same word, but in Mexico will meet something different than in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. When I was living in Mexico in my teens, like in my late teens, I was part of this like parliament, like student body parliament. And people would constantly say, I feel this budget is right. And I thought, no, you don't feel numbers. You don't. This has been irking me for years. So I think I think I totally right. I think these three parts are very important. It's. You can have talent. I don't think talent is the only... You can be super talented, but if you don't cultivate your craft, you're not going to succeed. You yes. can be the most... You can be playing the piano like a master at six years old, but if you don't continue to craft, to to develop that, you will never play better than when you played when you were six years old, even if you're 40. You never grow. You have to cultivate mm-hmm. talent. It's... If you see... like To put it in the context of uh, soccer players or football players messi has raw talent ronaldo doesn't have the raw talent messi he has a lot of talent but he doesn't have the raw talent so you have to work on it so you can work on improving on finding what your talent is it doesn't have to, we all have different talents
0: mm-hmm. you
1: can find on how to make it work for you and then you can work on your craft but if you have a lot of talent and you're an amazing craft craftsman or woman craftsman or woman or gender neutral but if you don't have at least a bit of entrepreneurial spirit or knowledge of numbers yep. or knowledge yep. a little or a little bit of knowledge on business, find somebody who does. Find somebody who does who can help you because you need that part. Yep. And again, 100%. you don't feel numbers. Even people say like, Oh, this, I think <laughs> I. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna like this workshop. Like a, I'm gonna get a workshop space for 400 euros per month. I think or I feel that's correct. No, you go and ask. You go and exactly. ask, and you say how much your budget is. You, it's yeah. Uh it really. Well,
0: we found a trigger point.
1: <laughs> I need a mug that says "You don't feel numbers." It's that's, very important. That's, well,
0: you should get that freaking mug. That's perfect. You know, but let's really go into these three fields. Sweets people, are you looking for a creative boost, some inspiration, or you wanna solve a problem in a creative way? Check out my Meet Your Muse creative coaching. This coaching is a creative boost for brand owners or marketing and design teams. We'll focus on a specific challenge or question and we will find a variety of creative ways to solve it. From brand, product strategy, to design and marketing tasks, or your content strategy and storytelling. Boost your creativity and find innovative solutions. I will help you to develop and curate ideas and strategies to solve your creative challenge. Find the right questions to ask, break down creative blockages, find ideas that can be implemented immediately and are effective in the long term. Meet your muse now. Check out sweetspot-studio.com to get in touch. And now, Let's get back to the show. Well, let's start with the third part we just discussed. Uh, let's say you don't feel numbers. So I think there's this one third of the whole package is the back to school part in terms of I think everyone can learn this. It's really not rock and science. And I know a lot of creative people don't feel comfortable with numbers and math and all of that. I get it. Me neither freaking hate it but still you can make it work let's put it this way i think really it's it can't be an excuse not to to strive to to be successful or let it stand in your way because i think if you put a bit of work in you can manage this so let's just kick your own butt don't be lazy i think you can handle this um then you just started talking about talent um which also divides a lot of people's opinions what do you think about talent is it you talked about raw talent. You talked about you're born with it. So, what's your take on talent personally, and also with the maybe the people you talk to?
1: That's a great question. But uh, so to go back to your previous point about creatives being afraid of numbers, I think I think that is because we are told in school that if you can be if you're creative, you're not good with numbers, mm. and. Here's the thing it's it's a 10,000 hours con like the 10,000 hours uh concept yeah. Yeah. which I like but I don't fully agree with here's my point you don't need to be an expert in numbers you need to know what they are you need to know what it is you, nobody's asking you to balance the budget of a company that has 500 employees it's Exactly balance your own budget and uh, one of my future guests actually we had an interview the episode is coming after Yours actually. Uh his name is Kevin uh Deradami. It's a very Dutch last name. That's why I butchered it right now. He gives <laughs> courses. Yeah. He gives courses for creatives on how to find like to find Perfect. funding, how to do their business side. And there's an in implement using creative processes to understand the business side of your company, which I think it's Amazing. great. It's exactly it's how you frame it. It's all about framing it. And it's all learned from his own experience, from He's not a guy who went to business school. He's just a guy that surrounded himself with people who are smarter than him and got all this knowledge through listening yeah. and through asking questions. So yeah, totally. It can completely be learned. It's just don't be afraid of it. And if you're really not good with it, like I am not a person that does taxes. I am not good with my taxes. I hire an accountant. Sure. I pay somebody to do it. Sure. It's I outsource. Uh, and you can
0: you can always, but at least you need the competency to know did you stop right is something wrong is something off i need to do my taxes you know just this basic basic understanding just get a hold of it so that you can bigger picture stuff you know so that you can succeed so that you can yeah. focus on your craft or prosper in your in your creative craft and your entrepreneurial spirit or build your company or whatever i mean if you wanna, if you follow a bigger goal, you always have to take the tiny steps that are maybe not the greatest ones. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and you can always simplify it. I love this book, Atomic Habits,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they have this. And one of the approaches he uses is just do the tiniest thing. To admit, like break it down into the tiniest steps. If you want to be a jogger, you say like go outside and jog for one minute, and that minute will become two and become three. So, for example, for I would recommend. Google what a tax return is. Like if you have five minutes in a day, go, Google what a tax return is, learn what you can learn about it in five mm-hmm. minutes and then drop it. Next day, mm-hmm. go for another term. Next day, go for another term. And just like get familiar with those words and nine out of 10 times you, will, you one will say, oh, huh, thought that was more complicated. Huh, okay, yeah. cool. But yeah, go to go into your question, which was about talent. Talent is a weird thing. I don't think people are, I think you can be born with a sensitivity, but what you're exposed to affects you a lot. What you can be, again, to stay with a piano, you can be a gifted pianist, but if you're never going to gonna be put in front of a piano, you will never know. If, if you never yeah. touch or never see a piano in your life, how are you supposed to know? Maybe you'll find it out when you're 15, 16, 18, 40, when you finally touch the piano and it makes sense. So it's about what you're exposed to. You can be talented in something and just never have been in the vicinity of it. And that's what you don't know. So we all have talents. We all have these sensitivities. And I think it has a lot to do with being curious. And when you're putting yourself in a position in which you can explore your talents and just try things out, we, I think as a society or as a, or as creatives we're so afraid of sucking at something. Yeah. Just be terrible at it. Just suck at it. Just just be bad at, at it. Just embrace being yep. terrible at something because yep. That's one that if you're terrible at it, you're like, okay, just one one less thing on the list. I'm exactly. not say exactly. I'm not saying go go try to do a backflip with no preparation. I'm not saying that <laughs> by God, no, by no means. I don't want to be responsible for any major injuries. But just be okay with sucking at stuff. Because worst case scenario, yeah. you figure out you don't like it or you're not good at it. But it might be the thing that you like and yeah. the thing that excites you. So
0: Well, I totally agree. I think It's a very good, valid point you made because I also think you are born with a skill set, with something that can be developed or not be developed, which is about privilege, exposure, curiosity, education. A lot of things come into play, but I still think you're not a blank page. So there's some things that you are drawn to more, that you have more resources, potential sensibilities towards. Perfect
1: example. I have an example that's perfect. Rhythm.
0: Oh, Some people yes.
1: are born with rhythm. Some people are born without it.
0: Yeah. My 100%. boyfriend
1: is aggressively Caucasian. He does not <laughs> have an ounce of rhythm in his body. Amazing. But my niece and my, my nieces and my nephews, they have rhythm. You can play music and they can follow music. Yeah. And since they were six months old, they would like, like be barely able to stand and they would like shake and jumpy. Yeah. And
0: That's amazing. It's yeah. It's
1: rhythm. Some people are born with it. Some people are born without
0: it. Yeah. Well, you know what? Good example. Because I'm born, I'm split. I have rhythm in my head. I'm a musician as well. I can play instruments. I can work with rhythms, all that stuff. I can't dance or move for shit, you know? So (laughs) I'm split. My brain's got some rhythm, but then it cuts (laughs) off, you know? So... There are mixtures as well, yeah.
1: But yeah, there it is. You can, you can have it, but also not have it. And I'm yeah. guessing that somebody, if somebody, if you want to develop rhythm, you can learn to play an instrument and learn what rhythm yeah. is. And exper- And then it comes experiencing it. If you understand it, you may maybe never going to be an amazing dancer. Like for, for example, I suck at major motor skills. It's, Mm -hmm. I, uh, but I do CrossFit and in CrossFit, you're constantly, you challenge your major motor skills. Yeah. It's, I did a a workshop last week, that Saturday about doing snatches, which is a crazy ass movement Mm -hmm. that I suck at. So I took the course to suck less at it. Yeah. And I had to break it down into tiny steps because I am not good at that, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I cannot get better than I am now.
0: Yes. And yes.
1: just by putting in the work. Am I
0: 100%. talented
1: at it? No, but my talent is that I don't get intimidated easily, that I am comfortable with sucking. That's I am talent. perfectly okay yeah. with being terrible at something because worst yeah. case scenario I just get better. Like I, there is no exactly. there is no lower bot. There's no lower level. I cannot get worse. So
0: yeah. yeah. And also this this whole talent debate reminds me of something mm, A guest on a former episode said that, I think it was Matt Smith. He said, um, especially on social media and in the whole entrepreneurial scene, you have this thing, he called it passion porn. And I really like this expression because everyone is so determined and um, really everything has to be super passionate and super, oh, you're born to do this, whatever. So I think if we get relaxed a little bit about talent... I think acknowledging that you're either born with a certain talent, or maybe not, which is both okay. And you can either give in to it, or ignore it, or you're lucky enough to find it or never find it, or to quote you, uh, just work to suck less at something, right? So I think... Because this is something, especially in the startup scene and where everyone is super ambitious and super competitive and everyone strives to be the next billionaire, space race, whatever, dark. Um, I think you compare yourself always to this amazing one in a billion outstanding people, you know, which is kind of an unhealthy approach, you know. Um, and I think this goes for every entrepreneur. You don't have to be... next stop uh, steve jobs elon musk whoever you can just do your craft and your business and compare yourself to where you've been yesterday or a year ago and this is some progress that's worth tracking and what talents did you brought to the table did you develop them did you let go of them did you work on something that's worth it where you don't have talent you know that's the i think that's the that's the interesting part of the debate about talent and not whether someone has it or you're born as a unicorn entrepreneur or whatever. I think it's always, yeah, it's it's more important and more exciting also to really go into the details.
1: Totally. And I have these personal crusade against the word passion. Um, yeah. It's... I think like in this passion porn journey, like the passion porn dive, if you go in social media, it's, Mm -hmm. it feels to me borderline elitist. It's you're saying that if you're not following your passion, that's why I hate these gurus that say, if you're not following your passion, you're wasting your life. It's like, not everybody's lucky enough to follow their passion. Maybe their passion is pottery, but they're born in a part of the world where if they do pottery for the rest of their life, they're not going to be able to eat. So, um, there is so. this wonderful TED Talk with uh, Terry. I think it's Terry Kolko. It's mm-hmm. a TED Talk. She's wearing a red dress. It's about passion. I, I can send you the link if you want to add to the show notes because it's great. I'll put it Beacon. in the show notes, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great. It's a TED Talk about passion. Her name is Terry. That's what I'm sure of. And she's talking about passion. And she says, the person who cleans windows doesn't have a passion for clean glass. It's 99% sure that their passion is not clean glass that their passion could be keeping their family fed. Their passion mm-hmm. could be putting a roof, up, not being homeless. Maybe they're passionate about not being homeless. I mean, that's also yeah. a very valid passion. And yeah. we look down as creatives many times on people whose passion is making money. Money is not bad. Like money, like my grandfather says, if money's not making you happy, you're not using it right.
0: Wow, what an amazing quote. Wow, let that sit there for a second. Yeah, I really let, like that. let's,
1: all, let's all let it marinate. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're using your money to buy insane things you're never going to use, if you're using it to have a crazy house you're never going to enjoy, to have insane mm-hmm. cars, nothing that brings you joy, then money's not going to make you happy. If you use it to take care of your tribe, put a, put a roof over the head of your family to support the things that make you happy... To propel your creative endeavors, maybe you're not creative, but you're passionate about creative work, and you want to give it to other people.
0: You mm-hmm. create
1: a grant fund, or you're passionate about the environment, and you use your money to support the environment. If you're not, that's I believe that wholeheartedly. If you're, it's not making you happy, you're not using it right. There yeah. is some, there, there is a way to use that money to make you happy, and that money can be five euros, it can be a million euros. It's just how you use it that yeah. counts, and that's absolutely. That's the key. So when people say follow your passion, it's like find your passion, but be open to the fact that maybe your passion is not going to look like somebody else's passion. Maybe your passion is going to be staying home with your kids. That's a beautiful passion. Yeah. That's a passion yep. that we don't see in men a lot. Like maybe, maybe a man's passion is really staying at home with his kids, but society tells him that he cannot follow that passion. Maybe a woman's passion is to focus on herself and society tells her that she does that. She's selfish. We don't know. It's be open to what passion can be. And and, and Terry ends the talk with this phrase and I love it. It's like passion is your undivided attention to what you're doing in that moment. You can clean dishes passionately. Mm -hmm. So, your passion should not determine your journey. Your passion should go to whatever you're doing. You can Mm -hmm. passionately bake bread. You can passionately make a song. You can passionately take care of your elderly parents. You can do everything with passion.
0: First of all, the TED Talk sounds amazing. I'm going to put it in the show notes and I'll listen to it myself. And also, you just subdivided passion into two things. One is really how you approach anything you do, which makes it worthwhile. That's something... Um, I talked to someone recently who studied art. She's an artist. And it's about, we talked about the creative flow and being in the moment and how that really mm, frees up so much space. It's like defragmenting your, your hard drive or something. And you can apply this to anything. As you said, cleaning the dishes. If you go all in, if you're just in this moment cleaning them, it can be so freeing because you're not living in the past you're not living in the future it's not the what if just be in control of your of your inner voice in your head just quieting it just be arrive in the present for a second which is one part of this whole passion debate i think and also what i love is that you broke passion away from the actual job you do because i also don't appreciate these weird influencer whatever prep talks about purpose and passion especially when it comes to developing some kind of stupid software or some snowball marketing scheme or programming a weird app that's just entertainment and no one actually needs you know what i mean it's just like the i think your passion is maybe Building or entrepreneurial spirit or family or self-evolvement or whatever it is. But I think it's worth investigating and taking yourself serious to a point where your passion doesn't have to fit on your business card. Your passion can be something that's what drives you. And you can apply it to all different kinds of parts of your life. It can apply to your job, to your spare time, to your family, to your relationships, to whatever you want to leave behind. You know, that's like it has more depth to it than just yeah the the overall passion porn novelty yeah
1: passion is not superficial if you're truly passionate about something it's deep to your core and Mm -hmm. it's asking the question of like i always get asked like that's one of my favorite things that i learned in art school it's ask why you did something it's like if you like helvetica why do you like helvetica what is mm-hmm. it about Helvetica that calls to you more than the other than any other fund, and you can go into a deep that it's like the a is so beautiful. what do you like about this a yeah what what is it it's like it's it the curve it's it's like I like the mix of lines and curve of straight lines and curves. Why mm-hmm. do you like this and you will go if you ask you keep asking why why you're gonna deep down find your interests like why do you like spaghetti and some and when you were saying about the dishes it's it's, it's somebody who lives passionately are children. Children live passionately. Everything is in that moment. There is no little, like a three-year-old, they don't know about yesterday. They don't care about tomorrow. They care about that moment. My niece, I gave her a balloon last time she visited and the balloon exploded In and she was destroyed. And I thought, I want to care about something so much. (laughs) Yeah. I want to feel that level of excitement or of sadness for an object i feel for a person but she she was distraught about that balloon she was fine 10 minutes later but that level of passion about that balloon being lost it's like puccini would have been inspired by her (laughs) sorrow
0: so much drama amazing so much drama (laughs) in germany we have a saying about this when it comes to creative work and um i use this quote a lot when i conduct workshops or work with people that are on a daily basis outside of the creative realm and to set some boundaries or how to commit to a creative process that you're maybe not familiar with. Um, the saying, if I would translate it is, hey, how about you commit to it with the seriousness of a playing child? Because yeah. that's, to me, the perfect boundaries between I know it's play, there are rules apply. there are some limitations to how impactful it is on my life in general But within this game, within this playing, it's dead serious, you know? That's, I like the balloon picture for that because, yeah, yeah, that's, it's a good point for that. So we really got deep into the, into the talent thing. I like this. So, but there's still a third component and I wondered what you think about craft. First of all, how you, what you would say your craft is. Because you're trained as a designer, but maybe your talent and your craft are somewhere else, or you define them somewhere else, and you just found a craft to express and apply your talent. Because that's my basic thought about this third part craftsmanship or crafts humanship. I think the craft is some well, I appreciate crafts a lot. And I, I always to me it's very important to whatever you do be rooted in a craft. Um Because what you just said about the typography, Helvetica, the single letters that you appreciate or why do you like spaghetti, I think the more you can commit to a topic and go into detail, the more universal it will become if you go through this wormhole and you come out the other end because you can deep dive so deep into typography and really go okay and there's certain angulars and strokes and curves and colors and cutouts and suddenly you come out the other end and you talk about geometrical and aesthetic rules that apply to everything aesthetical and fundamental design rules and it's like if you zoom in into a microscope and you end up like in these movies if you zoom in zoom in zoom in boom you're you're in the universe again and you start right on top of everything again this is to me sometimes what it feels like to go into depth with your craft so but what do you think about it?
1: <laughs> I, I love that and love the example of the micro of the microscope because if you go deep enough, you end up in atoms. and what is an atom, if not a, a, re, a mini replica of a solar system? Mm-hmm. So you go from tiny, you go suddenly you go back to gigantic. and I love that and I, I totally agree. I think my craft is really in asking questions. And in getting to know people, it sounds weird and intangible, but I am not going to stand here and say that my craft is print or that it's logo design or something like that, because Mm -hmm. it's not, it's, I, there are people who can sit down for 17 hours and work on logos. I am not one of those people. I have a different fascination for the project that I'm doing right now. It's, which taking up most of my time. I'm creating an a learning aid to help children learn about emotional agility in the classroom. My process for that has been talking to people who know way more than I do about it. I have interviewed four teachers, two parents, two mental health professionals, one illustrator, one tactile designer, one product (laughs) designer, one game designer, one materials expert, one sustainability expert, because... My craft is in bringing these things together. It's in asking questions and standing in the place of saying like, I don't know about this. Like, I I honestly don't know about this topic. I know about kids. I was a kid. I love kids. I'm around kids a lot. I love them, but I am never going to understand them at the level that you understand them. If I was working with a musician, I would be like, I like music. I have a general idea of how musical notes work, but I am never going to know it at the level that you know it. And then yep. taking taking this concept, this information and seeing how I can make it all fit into a concept and have have it actually work and think. And going back to what I was saying in the beginning of designing for this group of people that are not designed for, it's, if I was looking at it from a purely designy designee, uh, quote unquote, like I'm doing mm-hmm. air quotes, mm-hmm. point of view, I wouldn't care about things, for example, how is a teacher going to clean it if a child sneezes in it? They have to clean it. I wouldn't care about the material. The material is an important aspect. I would say everything has to be white. I don't know if you know this, but white is the worst color if you're around children. It's yep. the worst. It's yep. it's not a. It's gonna last like five <laughs> minutes, maybe.
0: It's Max. yeah.
1: It's not a. And that's what the teacher told me. She told me just don't do it white. Just avoid white, give me something that I can clean easily. And it's it's taking this standpoint. And I think that's my craft. That's what I like to know how to do. That's what I, I work on learning. Okay, if I'm asked, when I was doing my project with a municipality, I was working with the people that work at the municipality, and they had never been asked the questions that I was asking them. So they didn't know how to answer. So my no. craft was, How am I gonna get this information out of them in a way that it's not that I don't have to waterboard them? Like I don't wanna waterboard anybody. That's tortured. That's sanctioned by the Geneva Convention. You shouldn't do it. Let's avoid (laughs) it. How can I approach it in a way of that it's curious, that it's friendly, that to make them trust me Mm -hmm. and also have to gain their trust relatively quickly because it's not like I can spend three weeks with them. It's just into how What parts of myself am I going to give to them so they can give me a part of of themselves back? What stories? What, how do I create the environment? Do I offer them tea or do I offer them coffee? Do what am I giving them back? What am I telling them about the project? Because if you tell them too much, they're going to be overwhelmed. How, how do I approach this? And that is my craft. And that's the one that I chose to develop because I want to design for people who are looking for solutions, who want to make their story known make their story understood and for that i have to understand it myself first to a degree i'm never gonna know it at the level that they know it but i have to make it tangible for myself
0: yeah you're curating it and you're translating it and i really appreciate it because you have a very clear idea of what your craft is um so thanks for sharing and i think that's very i think it's very good example and very interesting because with this realization of what your craft is and your talent and what you're good at it's not the first idea to apply it as a designer and that's interesting about it Journalist, researcher um city developing whatever these are all things i could think about but it's so interesting if you then choose to be a designer and you can totally make it work we hear that in in the interview and we can see it in your works i guess and i think that's Again, to circle back to talent or passion or however you want to call it, if you have this knowledge about yourself and what you can do and want to do and what impact you want to have, you can probably have an amazing career by doing 10 different things in the course of your life. Being maybe an architect for these municipal marketplaces, being a journalist, writing about it, being a writer, actually writing fiction about it, or be a designer. And all of this would feed your talent and your and your craft in different aspects of it and i think this is a a very open and at the same time very fulfilling understanding of what a on how to stack up on a on a creative career on navigating yourself through a life that's maybe more drawn towards creativity and making a living from your creative craft so to say
1: yeah, totally, and I think if I had to say like what my passion is in one word, I would say people. I'm mm-hmm. passionate about people. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about people from different walks of life. I'm, I'm passionate about talking to them and getting to know them beyond my own assumptions of them. And my talent would be that I don't have any shame when it comes to talking <laughs> to strangers. A lot of people don't like talking to strangers. I have no problem talking to a stranger on the street. It's um we did this project when uh, we were in university or when I was in university and uh, our assignment was going to a shopping mall and asking 10 people what they thought about our design in a speculative way. And we were in a group with four people and three of like my three um the three people that were in my project they could not for the life of them approach somebody that was older than them or younger than them or that didn't Mm -hmm. look like them Mm -hmm. i honestly did not care i was like hey sorry can i ask a question and i get rejected a lot a lot of people were in a hurry they didn't want to talk i know that that has absolutely nothing to do with me there is a nine ninety percent chance that that has absolutely nothing to do with me I don't know what their day has been until now. It's I don't know if they like yeah. are waiting for some I don't know that. So my talent is in being able to say like I am fine asking a stranger if
0: mm-hmm.
1: a question. I am I don't have a problem with that.
0: This is so true because this rings a bell to me when we talk about resistance, which is something I guess in the book um I'm not quite sure. I think the artist's way or something, they talk about resistance and how you how resistance is something that is maybe sometimes a good thing that you can follow, and sometimes something that yeah you need to feel or you not need to feel. And I think it's super interesting because um, you're you're not ashamed, as you just said, even though you can totally fail. And I think there has been some kind of resistance approaching these people, but you just knew that you have to do it. It's the same if you're a musician, if you're a singer. You can get on stage, you can sing the wrong notes, you can forget the lyrics. There's a million ways to make a fool out of yourself, but you still choose to travel into this direction and to fight back to that resistance because you feel, okay, there's something in there for me, you know? And I think that's a very good example. And we all feel this. And I think you need to know yourself well enough to know... Is this a resistance I should push against? Is this something that's worth exploring more?
1: Totally. and I mean, like for like I said before, I do CrossFit. And I realized on Monday that my uh, my right knee was giving me a little bit of resistance. It wasn't that I couldn't move or I couldn't... Do, like, like warm-ups, we do a warm-up and we had to do squats for a warm-up. And it wasn't that I couldn't do it. It was just like giving me some resistance. Now, I know... That's a resistance that I should not push. Mm-hmm. If your knee, if you any of your, if your body's giving you a resistance, listen to it for the love of God, listen to it. And uh, I found ways around it. I, we, I talked to my coach and said, like, hey, this does not feel right. Can I do something? And it was a leg heavy workout. So it was very important that oh, I didn't shoot. push yeah. it. And we found ways around it. Like he said, like, okay, don't do rowing, do the bike. Don't jump on the box, step on the box, be very mindful. And he was constantly checking on me. How's your knee feeling? How's your knee feeling? And then I said, okay, I'm going to take, even though I go to CrossFit three to four times a week, I said, I'm going to take this week off and just wait for that resistance to go away. Don't push it. Now, there is creative resistance. (gasps) Mm. There is resistance that you're stuck on an idea, on a loophole, you have just hit that creative wall and you don't know your way out. That resistance is good because it means you're in a breakthrough. It's like a lobster. Lobsters shed their skin lobsters can get gigantic and they shed their mm-hmm. skin and it's because they're getting uncomfortable. so they're mm-hmm. they're getting uncomfortable mm-hmm. and that's why they break out of the shell and they get this better bigger body. All the animals shed snakes their their skin gets too too tight so they break out of it and they shed and they become bigger and better
0: yeah, yeah.
1: so it's also that's also a trick like learning how to identify the resistance. If you're facing resistance in a relationship, for the love of God, leave that relationship. If you're sensing resistance, and you, I, I, I have this theory about friendships. I think as humans, we're curious. And you have like long term friends, you have different boundaries with them. You're, t- you're constantly touching the boundary with people. It's like, can I make this joke? can i talk about this topic and then you sense them okay they're getting uncomfortable here they're getting comfortable there this doesn't feel comfortable anymore people test your boundaries you test their boundaries and then you you play with this resistance it's mm-hmm. i have friends that i know i can i for example if i know okay they have every time i mention their sibling they show me a bit of resistance i know that i'm not going to push that topic yeah but when we talk about work they show me a little bit of a different resistance maybe i can ask more questions there it's playing with this resistance and knowing where you should push and where you should pull and also being very uh, in tune with the quotes whether they are from your body telling you that there's resistance Mm. for some reason where it's from a friend whether it is from a job whether it's from a creative process and finding ways around it or to work with it
0: oh my goodness well resistance talent purpose we covered so much ground here Um, i
1: love it i love uh, these type of conversations
0: me too and yeah it all circles back to the to the big overall topic that you do a whole podcast about like what is your creative journey like what is training what does education play into so i can really just recommend everyone to listen to your amazing podcast you know what i have two more questions because we already talked for over an hour um we don't want to want to push our sweet people too much (laughs) um so i have two questions that i ask all my guests the first one is um you quoted ted talks you mentioned books is there anything else happening in your life right now that's really inspiring could be people books shows music whatever it is that you want to share with us
1: oh my god um so i recently discovered the show fleabag and oh yeah please watch it Please watch it. It's it's a great show. It's beautifully made. The story is super compelling. It might not be everybody's cup of tea, but it's it's really if, if not if for nothing else the cinematography is great. Um things that I think are happening right now, let me think about it. Well, it's spring, which is nice. So enjoying the weather. Big
0: inspiration.
1: Um, if you're in the Netherlands and you go to Amsterdam, I I think a lot of people go to the Rijksmuseum. They go to mm-hmm. the to the Moco. They go to all these. Go to the next museum. That's something that I can a hundred percent recommend. It's not in the um center of Amsterdam, the traditional, the beautiful, the canals. Mm-hmm. It's not there. It's across the river. It's in the neighborhood that's very industrial. It's a museum about projections. It has ten different rooms. It blew my mind. It made light seem solid. One of those installations made me feel like light was suddenly a thing that I could touch. It was amazing. If you're in Amsterdam, please go to the next museum. Almost nobody knows about it, but it's so worth it. So go there. Amazing. And then one last recommendation. um, The movie Tick, Tick, Boom. All right. It's on Netflix. If you're... I'm not saying I'm not saying break the law, but if you need to stream <laughs> it or if you need to borrow somebody's password to watch it, do it. it's about um Jonathan Larson, who is the a uh, writer of rent uh composer, writer creator of rent, and about how he failed it's it's about him working on this one musical for years and then it never being made, but that pushed him to do his next step he, It's actually the musical that he wrote before he wrote rent. Mm. And, yeah, it's beautifully made. Andrew Garfield, Leymar Miranda, Vanessa Hudges for some reason. But it's a great movie. It's super inspirational. And if you're a creative struggling, that's the movie to watch.
0: Great recommendations. Fleabag, Springtime, Next Museum, and the Tick, Tick, Boom movie. Thanks so much. So, well, Alex, last question. We can check out your social media profiles. We can listen to your podcast. Is there something else? coming up that you want to tell the sweet people about what can we look forward to what can we check out what's coming next
1: well um i I posted this week so when we're recording this it's what they said 27th of april Uh, my 30th episode of the podcast is coming out tomorrow it's with uh glenn and isabella from the tina podcast so check that out um, just check out the podcast. It's really something I'm really proud of. The stories are very human. They're very real. Um, Something I have coming up, regardless of the podcast, I want to, when I hit episode 50, I make transcriptions of all the episodes because I am not an English is not my first language. My first language is Spanish. And that happens to a lot of people. A lot of podcasts are in English and they mm-hmm. can be hard to follow for some people. If you're hard of hearing and it's not your first language. And something that I want to do when I hit episode 50s and ha- I have transcripts of all the episodes, I want to turn them into a book. And I want to send this book to every single person that has been on the podcast, send them their own copy so they can all be uh, they can all say we I was featured in a book. It's it's a cool amazing. thing to say. I think it's a That's cool thing amazing. to say. Amazing. And yeah, and then I can also say that I made a book and I want to write something a little in it to say that I'm a published author, even if I self publish, I I really don't care. So that's something I have coming up in a project. I'm going to be thinking about how to crowdfund it or something. So keep an eye out for that and on the website and yeah, on, on the social media accounts that I'm sure will be linked in the show notes of this episode
0: hundred percent alex thank you so much thanks for debating talent and craft and inspiration and purpose with me for the today's episode i think people really took away so much um i think they're all hungry for more gonna check out your podcast and thanks for being here
1: thank you so much mark and i'm excited for people to listen to you on my podcast because they're coming <laughs> up super close to each other so exactly. yeah i'm very excited for that thank you so much for having me <laughs>
0: Talk soon. Thanks. Woo, Sweeties, what a talk. I think Alex has found and chosen and a very inspiring creative purpose. And I think this talk is a good opportunity to think about yours. If you found your purpose yet, are you still looking? I think it's a good opportunity to think about your purpose and which niche you want to follow in your craft. I also thought it was great that we discussed the components of creative careers and think about the impact we have on each of them, like talent, like craftsmanship, like your entrepreneurial mindset and skill set. So I hope you enjoyed our conversation as well. And it got you thinking and helped you a little bit on your own creative or entrepreneurial path. That's it for this week. Next Wednesday, I'll be back with a new episode. My guest is the coach and trainer, Dr. Thomas A. Kukulis, also known as the Rampenpfau, which could be translated as stage peacock. Thomas is going to tell you what that means exactly himself. Also, we'll be talking about performing with confidence and how to fight your stage fright. So that's it for this week. Take care, and I'll hear you on the sweet side. This podcast is produced by Sweet Spot Studio. New episodes each week wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, leave a rating and subscribe to never miss an episode. Find out more at sweetspot studio.com.